Hi, hello. Welcome to the Dirty Rabbit Hole Dark Fiction Podcast. I'm Michael Foreman, author. Hi again, it's Michael Foreman, author, calling to you all the way from the Dirty Rabbit Hole podcast in Western Australia. I'm an author who writes dark fiction with erotica and psychological thriller overtones. If you're a long-term follower of my podcast, you'll know that I have been serving up some excerpts from Darkness Awakes. Well, this podcast is no different. This is Chapter 2. The door shuts behind us. Thank God that's over. I couldn't wait to get out of there. I know. I I saw your face. Stepping down the front stairs, the heels of our shoes click against the pathway. She reaches out, holds my arm and rests her head on my shoulder as we turn and walk slowly along the darkened footpath towards my car. It'll be okay, Mitchell. Christmas parties bring out the worst in people. I went to one last week and it was such a drag. Look at the bright side. You won't need to see them again for another year. I just get sick of people being so judgmental all the time. Why can't they be more compassionate towards each other? Actually, I wouldn't care if I never saw them again. We take a few more steps and her hand slides down onto my bum. Maybe I can turn your mind onto something else. Yeah, like what? She stops in the middle of the path, turns and plants a probing kiss on me. I thought that might give you a clue, she replies, pulling away and giggling. I'm still worked up over the dinner conversation that I'd forgotten our night wasn't over yet. Oh, yes, I see. Well, try and not sound too excited about it. Sorry, I was just... I'm only kidding, sweetie. They really got to you, eh? Well, never mind them. They know nothing. They're just crazy, weird people who haven't a clue. Hey, you know, if if you play your cards right... I'll help you take your mind off that completely. Beads of sweat rise to the surface of my brow. It's sure hot tonight. Yes, I'm sure you will. Actually, I'm counting on you to do that. No, I'm really counting on you this time. Is it my imagination, or is it hotter tonight? That's better. Yes, I think it's a bit hotter. And you'll know it'll only get hotter, she says in her usual sultry fashion. There's no doubt I love the way she does this. She's the best at serving up innuendo. I lap it up, enjoying the anticipation. The heat in her words secures my role in a forgotten hunt, the one in which I rarely participate in, the one I'm frequently kept away from. She's alone and she's prey. But an ambush will have to wait. Street lamps and public places are like the open plains for predators. They offer no place to hide once a kill has been made. We reach the car, hop in and drive along the darkened streets of Hamilton. Do you think some cool air will help, my love? I ask, reaching for the dial on the dash. (laughs) I very much doubt it, she replies slowly, stroking my arm, smiling all the while. It's true, air conditioning will have little effect. The journey will be long enough to chill the surface of our skin, but not go deep enough to douse the internal fire. We both know what's to come next. Artisans have told us of it since the first sun rose and ended the darkness. Their fantasies have become ours. We're not about to do anything new, yet with each word, each breath we take, we feel that this is our time, exclusively. Our bodies ache from the gravity tugging at us, 
yearning to close all the spaces that have kept us apart, but we can't close them, not yet. There's too many obstacles to negotiate to close anything. The road, the car, the lights, the gear stick, all constrain my movements. Nina has some room to move. She uses and teases me with it, shifting her body sideways, tilting her seat back and lying down so she can watch me. Most likely, she's imagining all the things we could do if those obstacles were gone. I'm trying not to look at her, but I can tell from the corner of my eye that she's smiling with that cheeky smirk I've come to know, the one she makes when she knows what's coming her way. It's the one that jumps straight out of those eyes and causes pressure to occur on the inside of my pants. So I smirk too, not because I know this, but because I know I've left the restraints of my wife behind. I'll take this lover as I please. It's too much to bear. I have to turn to look at her. I need to see my prize. The smooth curve of her body flows over my car seat like some Athenian sculpture I've seen in a book. Her long blonde hair cascades over her shoulder and across her face. She takes one hand to brush it away to reveal that suggestive smile of hers. In that moment, I've lived the scene for a lifetime. A woman had poured herself into my eyes and looked at me kindly. She's my reward for all the pain. If I could only stop here and watch her this way forever. Alas, moments like these are too precious to remain. Their brevity makes the heart cry when they're gone. So I drive on, knowing that this vision wasn't built to last. What? she asks. And there it goes. She's a sly assassin. Nothing, I reply, watching the scene disintegrate before my eyes. No, what? Tell me, she demands with a grin. Yes, you committed murder, and I tell you? I don't think so. Nothing. Really, it's nothing. No, it's not always best to tell the truth. Truth has an uncanny way of spoiling things. She flutters her eyes a few times and tilts her head into the seat, waiting for me to reveal what's on my mind. You know what? I reply, feeding her an alternative. With a shake of her head, she interrupts. Will you tell me? Please? Well, I was thinking... Yes, yes. What were you thinking? I was thinking that if I could have my way with you now, and this is the game we must play to sustain us. Yes, yes. What would you do? She closes her eyes and waits for me to answer. Her lips open a naughty smile. Nina has begun her journey into fantasy. She opens her eyes and in a soft, innocent voice, she asks, Well? Well what? Don't be like that. What would you do? Say it. Would you take me? Surely it doesn't need to be said. Saying it only ruins it. She already knows the answer. Oh well, it's her fantasy. She already murdered the moment. I can't spoil anything now. We might as well bury it. Uh-huh. She closes her eyes and murmurs something. It's amazing how much can be said with little more than a grunt. She opens them again and notices me adjusting myself. Do you have a problem? Just you wait. We'll solve it in due time. No, I'm sure it's nothing you can't fix. Finally, Amongst all the deception needed to meet with her tonight, like slipping her by those uncouth friends of mine and not have them ask questions so they can use what they learn and twisting what we're doing into some kind of garish affair, why must we put ourselves through such tortures? 
It's probably because paradise is worth the trip. Nina's will make up for much, but it won't make up for everything else. Nothing will make up for that. Never mind. Tonight counts, and tomorrow's another day. This is the moment. This is the time to seize the thunderstorm. Thunderheads are looming and furious electricity will explode our two worlds. At last we arrive at her house. It's taken nearly 50 minutes to travel from the northern suburbs to Ellen Grove in the west. We can't wait. We're standing at the front of the car, our lips wrestling each other. It's too dark to tell if anyone's seen us arrive, but if they did, it doesn't matter. We're in a world of our own behind all the dense bushes. No, Mitchell, not here, she finally whispers, tucking her blouse back into her skirt. Someone will see us. Unperturbed, I reach down and lift one side of her skirt. Mitchell, no! Will you stop that? I said not out here. She grabs the underwear back from me and continues kissing while poking bits of dishevelled clothing back into place, fending off my advancing hands all the while. Then you better unlock that damn door or I'll have you on the bonnet of the car, giggling. <laughs> that sounds exciting, but I'd prefer to go inside now. That's too bad. The open air would have been a refreshing change. It's been over two decades since I did it outside. It's a jostle between lips, hands and house keys all the way to the front door. She fumbles around with the key and the lock. Will you stop that for a moment, Mitchell? I can't get the key in. Let's do it here, baby. Don't worry about that. No! Will you stop it? My neighbours will see. So, we'll educate them. Besides, you can't see anything from here. Again, I reach up under her skirt. Mitchell, no! Someone might be in my bushes. Someone's already headed for you. The door flies open and we're inside. Our ravenous kisses lead us to the kitchen. She reaches out and flings her handbag and keys towards the bench. She misses and they fall to the floor. Our clothes fly this way and that, strewn between the front door and here. I tease her naked body with my mouth, hands and fingertips and lead her to the bedroom. We're gasping for oxygen. I reach behind her and turn a tap handle and release the cold stream of water from above, almost sizzling as it splashes onto our hot, slippery bodies. Soaked and shiny, I toss her wet body onto the bed. She quickly rolls over on all fours and presents me with her choice of position. She grabs the corner bedpost with her slippery hands and holds on tight, shaking her stringy wet hair from side to side. This way first. We missed out last time. Oh, how did that happen? I thought we covered everything already. The collisions I give her are so great that shockwaves ripple along her polished body. I've never been so forceful. That's it. Oh, yes. More, please. Don't stop. Get your head down, I demand. Through grunts of delight, a tiny word struggles through. What? If she wants more, then more is what she'll get. There is always more to give. Then I heard the all-too-familiar growl, and my neck prickled. Why, why is this happening again? Oh, hell, there's nothing I can do about it now. You heard me. Get your head down. I push her head downwards. Give me that thing, I said, yanking a pillow out from underneath her face. Her head flops onto the mattress below. Beads of sweat fall from my chin and chest, landing on her back, forming a trickle that runs along the gutter of her spine and down to her neck. I push hard, and her shoulder is driven against the post. She flinches as it digs in. Stop! Hang on! This hurts! Let me move to the side of it. She lets go of the post and wriggles sideways, reaching out for the horizontal bar that forms part of the lower bedhead. The bar is no more than 15 centimetres above the mattress. 
perfect for squeezing a body part through. It gives me an idea. Slide back a bit. I pull her away from the bedhead and she rises to accommodate. She glances over her shoulder, lets go of the bar, shuffles backwards on her knees and then lowers herself back down, placing her elbows, hands and forehead onto the mattress. I move back and forth slowly, spying the interesting gap, waiting for her to relax. Little catches at the end of each breath indicate that her body is tuning to the rhythm of our movement again. It doesn't take her long to make her move. She leans forward, turns her head sideways, and lays her cheek against the soft sheet. Now is my chance. Using all the muscle and might of my body, I push forward as hard as I can. She's always liked it a bit rough. She screams as her head slides forwards and instantly connects to the underside of the bar. Shit! That hurts, Mitchell! I knew it would, but your head was supposed to go through. There's a bar up here, you know. Can't you see it? Ouch! Back up a bit. My head is stuck under it. Really? Stuck? Well, stay there. Don't move. I can't move. Back up. Ow! Stop pushing a moment so I can get out. Not on your life. Your head is supposed to be on the other side of that bar, not wedged under it. Down! I yell, thrusting her forward again. Ow! Okay! Oh, ah! All right! Underneath is what? Ow! I get it! Why didn't you say so? You'll have to push the mattress down first. I can't get under by myself. She grabs hold of the bar and begins to wriggle her head from side to side, waiting for me to abandon her. But I won't fit under it without some help, she says sarcastically. Why don't you come over and stand on the mattress for me? You want me to help? I've already accommodated your kind enough. I take a hold of the top of the bed head with both hands and begin to extract myself, letting her believe I'll assist. Instead of withdrawing entirely, I plough back into her at speed, using my body mass and the power in my legs and arms to shunt her forward again. She shouts as her head slowly slides forward, passing underneath the bar. She grips it, tries to push backwards. It's useless. I can't get it right through. The fit is so tight. Damn! I wanted the bar over her neck. She's stuck. And it's a stalemate. The noise coming from under the bar is annoying. The wailing is reminiscent of the moment a man finds himself in when he's confronted with an apprehensive virgin. He wants to push on but the discomfort has her holding him back. It's been a long time since Nina was a virgin, and she'd be the first one to say that it's not all bad once you get through. She once said to me, Mitchell, if a girl wasn't ready, she wouldn't find herself in that situation in the first place. Besides, it'll happen one day, so it might as well be then. She's ready, but she just doesn't know it. She was absolutely right, of course, and she's got the perfect insight to know. Of course, she was always a horny teenager. Too much, barely satisfied. But her advice was logical. All virgins stopped being virgins at one point or another. I remember my first time. It was equally overwhelming to step into this strange, wonderful new world. It didn't change anything, though. The inevitable was the inevitable, and I wasn't a virgin anymore. Nina's sounding like a virgin now. Screaming, pleading for me to stop, believing that such a big thing won't fit into such a small space. She needs reminding that the inevitable is inevitable. After all, she put herself in this situation. She's ready. She just doesn't know it. It'll hurt just once, dear, I said calmly. 
I pull out a little and then give her body one more shove from behind, watching her head scrape on the underside of the bar. My ears! My ears, Mitchell! I can hear the awkward sounds of her flesh compressing against the steel. I can see her right ear crumple backwards as it passes beneath it. Ow! No, Mitchell! No! It's like listening to a 16-year-old. She's tensing up, hands flailing about the place, grabbing at anything that'll allow her to push her back. She can't find anything, so her head slowly continues to creep forward, grinding against the steel, raking the skin backwards until her head finally pops out on the other side. The gap snaps shut as the mattress rises and clamps her neck against the bar. You fucking cock-sucking son of a bitch! Well, that's not what virgins usually say at this point. They usually cry. She rattles the bar and pushes against the wall on the other side and shouts again. Have you gone totally fucking mad, Mitchell? That fucking hurt. Jesus Christ, I told you it was hurting. Didn't you hear me? Get me out of here. Shit, man, I told you, and you still did it. You've ripped my goddamn ears off. What the hell is wrong with you? I couldn't care less. I achieved what I wanted, and so moved back and forth in a steady rhythm again. Don't you do that. I said, don't do that. Or what? You'll tell your mother? You're a bit old for that. Perhaps you'll turn around and slap me. How are you going to do that? Get me out of here. And don't do that. I said don't do that. You son of a bitch. You stop that now. Get me out of here. Oh, shit, my ear's bleeding. Bleeding? That's no concern of mine. Blood is supposed to be part of the deal. You're over the hardest bit. I think it's time to pick up the pace. I said don't do that. You pig. Pig. Why do women always reach for pig when they're upset with a man? Is pig supposed to be an insult? Why pig? Oh well, another thing I came to learn about virgins was that once they're past the worst, they're a hell of a lot nicer to deal with. Listen to me! Damn it, Mitchell! You stop that now! Or so I thought. She was supposed to turn that frown upside down and place her trust in someone who was more experienced. Don't worry, sweetheart. This'll be all sorted out very soon. Look at me. Aren't I the supportive one? Despite all this unnecessary abuse, I'm still full of encouragement. Shit! I think my ear's bleeding. I can't tell. Can you look and see if I'm bleeding? Will you stop moving? I don't want you to do that. And what about that blood? Who cares? It's expected. It's your first time. Can we please get back to the business at hand and forget all about that? I said stop doing that! She's not giving in so easily. I give her a deeper length of my rod and she moans. It was enough to silence her. Momentarily. Aren't you going to stop? Don't you care at all? Oh, Jesus Christ, woman. What is it with you? You're a virgin, and this is all part of the experience. There's a little sting and soreness, but it's not like it's the end of the world. Hell, if history is anything to go by, you'll like this and probably ask for it again. Now get over it. I know I have. It looks fine, I reply. My head's on the other side. How can you tell if I'm bleeding from there? <laughs> She's got me. I can't see her head or ears. I won't look to check anyway. 
There are far more important matters at hand, and those ears will still be there after I finish doing what I need to do. What's spoiling things now is all this bloody chatter. Don't worry, I think the problem will go away soon, I say. I have her high libido to thank. She does what she always does and enjoys the sensations growing inside her. At the moment she rises to climax, her ass bucks vigorously. She reminds me of a horse racing along the final straight at the Melbourne Cup. Picks up speed and gallops on down to the finishing line. As her breaths of ecstasy subside, a muffled voice on the other side of the bar asks, Again? I knew it. This virgin was a slut in waiting. Torn ear no longer mattered. It was worth ignoring her. I wanted to remove her from that submissive pig-on-the-spit arrangement, but she didn't want to. She liked being treated like a piece of meat, being jabbed by an unseen stranger she couldn't shake off. Women are funny creatures. Ask and they won't give, but take and they'll give more. It answered a conundrum I'd had since I was a young man. Should I have waited for the virgins to make their decisions or suited myself? The answer had bucked before me. My mother was wrong. It was a silly rule she had given me. I could have taken what I needed when I needed it. Instead, I abided by her no-means-no directive. It ruined my chances of having a normal relationship. My needs weren't met. My mother's fears became mine. I became her. She made woman sound as though she was perfection, unable to be touched. Mother failed to include that this perfect, untouchable being is incomplete. She's the other half of another imperfect being, trying to reach completion through its opposite. Mother gave me woman, but nothing of man. The answers are clear now, but her poor advice confounded my understandings of women and my place alongside them. It led me astray. It took me to Sam, and it had me wait years for her yes, which never came. I listened to her. I sympathised with her and all of the women in my life, just like my mother had taught me. I held their hands and cared for them like a friend instead of turning them into lovers. And when I was ready to make a move, they'd turn away and shag some wanker instead. They'd return to me for a shoulder to cry on, asking, Why isn't he respectful like you? Their gracious thank yous soon followed, for being a friend and not trying to get into their pants. Rotten bitches. Their pants mattered to me too. They mattered most right after I was told how easy they were to get off. Figuring out women wasn't supposed to be my job at all. I should have been figuring out what I needed and how to get it. If only my mother had stayed out of the way. The world doesn't end because a man forces his point. Women want men to make their moves so they don't have to. Take a look at Nina. She's squealing delightfully, enjoying her sixth lap of the Flemington racecourse with her head jammed underneath an iron bar. She was a no girl to begin with. She's a yes girl now. I prize Nina's bottom apart and plunge in deeper. She moans, but what I'm doing isn't done out of love or kindness. 
because I can see the faces of those precocious little teasers appear in her writhing flesh. Those seemingly harmless females who bashed me with their anxieties and raked me with their fears. I held their handbags while they serviced my friends. How dare they do that? They need punishing. I almost turned Nina's body inside out when I saw my wife's face join the vision. Nina grunted and called out, Oh, shit, Mitchell! Do that again! Yes, Sam's the worst of all. She and that attitude of hers are with me every day. My mother gave Sam power. It has turned her into a misandrist. She needs to be taught a lesson. Oh, oh yes, that's it. That's the way. Do that again. Do that, that again. What's that, Nina? You like this? How dare you? Come on, Mitchell. Don't stop. What are you waiting for? Do it. Oh, that's right. When it suits you, right? And that's what it always comes back to. Well, without me doing this, you have nothing. Come on, come on, Mitchell. Move. What a sad, pitiful creature. Its ass is up high in the air and it beckons for more by bobbing it up and down. It's as though someone's taken its food away. Does it know what it's like to starve? Move, Mitchell! Do it! C come on! Of course it knows. It's a cunning thief. It knows a good meal when it sees it. You'll get nothing unless I choose to make it happen. Not a millimetre of flesh will move until you stop your demands. I'll decide when and how this goes down. Fuck, Mitchell. What are you waiting for? Hmm. You have a problem here. You want something and I have it. That's interesting. Please. Wow. Is this control? Is this what it's like to have sexual power? If it is, then it feels amazing. Arousing. I've never been in a position like this. Is this what it's like to be a female? Sam knows how to press the stop button. She has control of it all the time. A weapon she wields with great ease. I'm almost tempted to pull out and watch Nina and her ass squirm with the sudden loss of pleasure. Mitchell! If I abandon you now, would you curse me and call me a tease? Would you hate me for luring you here and not completing what I started. Mitchell! All right, all right, greedy bitch. I'll do this for you, not because you want it, but because it suits me. I need to keep you on the boil so I can have you again. The end brings much gratification, but it doesn't satisfy everything. Maybe it's because this doesn't solve everything. I can't stop thinking about how tragic it is. Two women have had to be lied to for this to happen. One thinks her husband is at a Christmas party. The other thinks there's a future together. The cost of deception is great. I look at the glowing red numbers on her digital clock on the bedside table and how long it would take for her to fall asleep so I can slip out and get back home to my wife. If Nina knew how I felt, this would end instantly. So I've told her nothing. I've allowed her to mistake my attentiveness for whatever she chooses to believe. Besides, 
were adults, and we both needed itches scratched. Why spoil that by adding the truth to it? Yes, we'll reach another point when she'll ask for more. Fortunately, it won't be reached today. When it comes, though, I'll have the right response. I'll walk out and not look back. She'll be confused, of course, and then devastated, but then I won't be there to see any of it. It's irrelevant to me. This is only for sex. I've not promised her anything. We barely speak to one another when we're together, and it's her fault if she's invented an alternative outcome to this. Life's never that predictable anyway. And what's wrong with visiting heaven, for heaven's sake? It's got to be better than being alone, waiting in hell for a sensual moment with my wife that won't come. Abstinence before our wedding day never improved our marriage. It became a routine and ruined it. Nina's not frigid. She's alone and she needs sex to feel human. There's no reason to stop herself from enjoying it. It's the part that comes afterwards that I must prepare for. That's why I keep my clothes and keys at the front door. A quick and simple exit plan is at the ready. The moment she opens her mouth and asks about the future, I'll go and not look back, for there is none. There's no love or promises, it's just for the sex. Ordinarily I'd frown upon men who do this, but this time it's different. It's necessary. Sam has pushed me away. How did Nina come about? We were lovers a long time ago. Nina and I hadn't seen each other in over a decade, nearly two. We were teenagers. It was all exciting and new. We explored each other day and night. It was the mid-80s and our new adult bodies were in bloom. The tunes of Culture Club would play in the background while we played adult games in my car. We couldn't get enough. For two years we travelled along a wild journey of lust, parking in darkened forests just so we could steam up some windows. We smelt of sex and barely spent a moment apart. Then it ended. While we were living our dreamy place between bucket seats, it was perfect. But the other world on the other side of the misty glass had different ideas. It eventually tore us apart. In the time we were together, it showed me that sex was an important facet of life, but not everything that's needed to make a successful relationship. What did she say that final day? Oh, yes. We'd just finished making love for what turned out to be the last time. She stood up, got dressed and said, If you and I aren't doing anything in ten years' time, let's look each other up. <laughs> it's an interesting way to part, don't you think? Announce the beginning of a new relationship before an old one is over? To this day, I don't know why she did that. Perhaps it was her way of being kind. I never really knew why she left. There weren't any signs before it. It took me a long time to rationalise the sadness of the breakup, and even longer to accept that she wasn't coming back. It all seemed so unbelievable, so surreal. I didn't trust anyone for a long time. Yes, eventually there were other lovers, but none like her. Sam may be romantically cold, but she's a good person. She's completely trustworthy, and her heart is in the right place. She's centred in most aspects of her life, but Sam is always unavailable. Of course, I didn't know that this was the way it would be when I met her. It didn't matter at the time. 
We were just friends. It wasn't a big deal. I was getting over Nina anyway. A year or so later, my feelings began to change. Sam had one rule, though. No sex before marriage. That's when my mother's rule kicked in and confined Sam's. Imagine that. Two of the most important women a man can have in his life, each with the best of intentions, creating a wall of evil that couldn't be penetrated. That's why this woman, not Sam, is beside me. Penetrating her defences is no trouble at all. I couldn't stand another year of forced celibacy. Besides, sex is not love. One doesn't equal the other. And how can you abandon something that you never had, right? If sex means nothing to Sam, as is the case, then it should mean nothing at all. Getting it elsewhere isn't an issue. Sam promised me that marriage would improve things. I foolishly believed her. I endured five years of celibacy for nothing. What we had after our wedding day was what we had before it. That archaic Catholic rule should have dissolved immediately when the priest proclaimed, I pronounce you husband and wife. But it didn't. Marriage changed nothing. I'd been caught in a trap. Sam had had twelve and a half years to recognise the problem. She'd been given ample opportunity to solve it. She didn't. She gave me twelve and a half years of reasons to solve it myself. So I stopped the fights, the awkward silences, the tensions, and found this solution. Nina and I had not spoken since the day we parted, but it was those words of hers that had always buzzed inside my brain. That offer to resurrect something. Betrayal wasn't easy, not, not at first. Now I can't understand why I hadn't done it sooner. It works marvellously. Everyone's happy. Sure, guilt lingers, but it's less than the anguish of living under an unreasonable arrangement. I didn't agree to that. Nina's poor memory of our former teenage relationship has made this arrangement very easy. And she was thankful that I'd moved fast. So was I. I needed her badly. On that first night, she giggled out some words under ever-quickening breaths. Don't you just love it when you don't need all the small talk to make it happen? That wasn't the first time she'd said that. In the 80s, we'd go parking and get into it just as soon as I had the car stopped. She prefers action. She always has. She loves a warm, wet cock inside of her just as much as I like being covered by a hot, moist pussy. That's why I dive right into it. But why can't she remember me? Did I mean nothing to her? This bothers me. It was May, 1987, and the days were getting cooler. It was lovely to have her warm body against mine. We had a particularly vigorous session when she delivered her news with a storm of ice and needles. My penis was still thumping inside her. She looked up and into my eyes and said those two terrible words. It's over. Oh yes, <laughs> that's exactly how it happened. I was buried deep into the sloppy abyss when she chose to act. I have no doubt in my mind now that this was all planned. She wanted to visit me to get some action and then fuck off. She then slid out from under me, got dressed, making that ridiculous offer as she backed up to the door and tucked in her blouse. She spoke 
opened the door, turned, and never looked back. I'm sure she'd deny saying it now. It doesn't matter. The message was delivered, and I never forgot it. Ten years have passed. I was alone. So was she. The criteria were met. We got together, and I soon found a lovely way to get her neck underneath an iron bar. The jury of public opinion would surely pass judgment on me in an unfavourable way, but I'm nobody special. No one is going to know or care about what I do. As for Sam and Nina, all I have to do is wrap myself in silence. That's not hard to do. Silence is what my marriage has been all about. Holding Nina at arm's length is priority number one. She knows about my troubled marriage, but Nina's always busy doing other things. There's never time to talk. Our rendezvous take place at her house. She likes that kind of order, as do I. As her breathing begins to slow, she finally falls asleep. I can slip out and head home. She says that she doesn't mind that I'm not there in the morning, but I'm not so convinced. This is why I've planned my exit. When it happens, I'll do so swiftly. She'll be the one left in an empty room with a sodden crotch. I won't be making any offers when I leave her. Silence is all she'll get. It's fate. It's karma. Nothing in this world lasts anyway. We should be more realistic than that. We should be happy with what we have now, not what we should be getting from another for all eternity. Then there's the beast to contend with. At least she doesn't have to worry about him. Hmm. Yes. He's mine to deal with, too. He has become quite a problem. We're all animals. We've all got our beasts inside of us. It's the thing that drives us, makes us do the things we can't always explain. It's the thing that instinctively chooses life over death, makes the hairs on the back of our necks stand up when danger lurks, causes arousal when an attractive mate is near. My animal has been gnawing at me for years. He's the one who hunts Nina. It's he who forces her head between a mattress and an iron bar. I want sex, but he wants more. He's been growing stronger with each encounter. Dealing with this inner demon of mine has been more difficult than managing the affair. I hope he settles soon. I won't be able to control him if he keeps escaping. I'm frightened. Well, there you go. That's chapter two, all done and dusted. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you are a new visitor to my site, you're quite welcome to go back into the archives and find out where this story comes from and also listen to chapter one, which is also on the podcast. If you'd like a copy of my book, where this excerpt is taken from, it's called Darkness Awakes and is available on Amazon. You can get it as a paperback, but also in the more traditional version of reading books today in this modern world as a digital file for your Kindle, your Kobo, your laptop computer, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever you want, however you read your books today. It's only a couple of dollars. If you're a member of Kindle Unlimited, it's absolutely free. Or you can come to my website at www.mfp.com.au forward slash your throat. That's M for Michael, F for Foreman, 
p4publishing.com.au forward slash your throat if you want to find out more information about me and the kind of writing that I do. It's all dark adult fiction. If you're a under the age of, say, 25, you're probably not going to be interested in it. You need to have been around the traps a little to appreciate some of the themes. Or, or if you just like reading psychological thrillers, well, there's a there's a chipper in the background. We've we had a st- we had a storm this past weekend, and there's a lot of chainsaws. If you picked up some sounds in the background while I was doing the read, my apologies. It wasn't my intention. I started with a very quiet environment, and then it, it progressively got louder. It seems to have gone. Anyway. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're having a really great day. Just remember, it can always rain on your parade. See you later.